This is Hops and Spirits Bar Conversations. Come for the craft beer, bourbon, whiskey, and great drinks. Stay for the conversations. Here's your host, Jonathan Green. The calendar has officially flipped and we're into New Year 2022. Welcome into our first episode. It's a fun one. Uh, and in Tasting Notes, we talk with Kevin Patterson about non-alcoholic beers. It is dry January for a lot of folks. So we'll get his take on what to expect with NA beers. And we cap it all off with CJ Kane of the books for our conversation. It's a fun episode. You don't want to miss any of it. And uh, I hope you all are having a great start to the new year. We got a lot of great episodes for you coming up. Don't forget to also check out our Q&A video cast. Go to hopspirits.com or check us out on social media, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube to check that out, where we talk to people in Kentucky and beyond, food, art, drinks, and so much more. Let's get to the episode. It's almost time. Where did I, where, where did I put those? Here they are. <laughs> it's time for Tasting Notes. Once again, joining us is Kevin Patterson. You've heard him talk about beer, beer, pretty much beer, and a lot more beer. He's back again. He's a Cicerone National Beer Judge. He's also the manager of the Beer Trap Craft Beer Store and Bar in Lexington, Kentucky. Welcome into another edition of Tasting Notes. Well, thanks, Jonathan. It's good to be here once again. Yeah, if you if if you like beer, then this section of the podcast is a fantastic section. If you don't like beer, then this is a terrible section of the podcast. <laughs> well, and and if you're looking for maybe something that is a uh, non-traditional this is great too because you know obviously there are certain times of the year folks like to maybe cut back on 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 things you sober october dry january and that's kind of where we're at now um but people still want to maybe have a beer but they don't want to you know maybe intake as many calories and in recent years while the category has been around forever non-alcoholic craft beer is becoming a big big business i mean it's still not overtaking you know anything but it is grabbing a lot more dollars. Uh, what have you seen with the non-alcoholic beer trend? Yeah, there's a lot of options out there. And as craft beer has expanded, it's gotten better. Um, I mean, the last 12, uh, 13 years in, in beer has really developed um, the science of beer, uh, has really propelled it forward quite a bit. And it just doesn't happen whenever it comes to hops, barley, yeast, and water. It comes with the non-alcoholic stuff too. Uh, used to be, if you wanted a non-alcoholic beer, it basically all those beer ingredients combined to make some sort of barley tea. And they would leave it at that. They carbonated and put it out to market. And those weren't very good. They just taste like unfermented beer. <clears throat> Excuse me. And it was largely unpleasant. People just didn't like it. You know, to keep it from tasting so sickly sweet, they would dilute with water, add more carbonation. And it didn't get any favor. And if a person just didn't, if they were out drinking and they didn't want an alcoholic beer, um they would just get a tea they would just get a soda they would just get something else let's just get a water but those days are kind of behind us now there's a, a whole class of beers that have learned to uh basically remove the alcohol from the beer post fermentation and without disturbing in the more delicate natures of uh, of the beer within uh, i know athletic brewing company is probably leading the way at our store and they have a series of beers, especially the IPAs that taste just as legitimate IPA as a lot of other breweries we have that makes standard alcoholic IPAs. Uh, these just don't have alcohol in them. Sometimes you get that little bit of an evaporative cooling in the back of the throat that alcohol gives you. Maybe you're missing that. But with that hop characteristic on the back of the throat, it's easily just kind of overlooked. Well, maybe I don't need that evaporative feel. Maybe I'm okay with just the hop bitterness there. Um, so... I, I think the IPAs have done real well. I'm really impressed with what they have done. Some of the Belgian styles coming out, they're non-alcoholic, it's actually kind of cool too. It's kind of fun to see that. I'm glad that people who uh, don't prefer alcohol in their beer actually have some options right now that are not terrible options. They're actually good options. Um, and it, people come in for a wide range of reasons. Um, obviously, if a guy comes in, he loves the beer trap and he brings his wife with him, well, eventually they're going to, you know, probably do things that adults do and make a baby. And so <laughs> while the baby's in baking, you know, mom just doesn't want to sit at home, wait on husband and come home. He'll never come home. So she has to be a rough eye aside and come home. Well, she's okay coming into the, the store like ours and asking for a non-alcoholic option. And I have some options to give them. I say, you can have these flavors, not just this one terrible beer. And now we have these options and they're all pretty good. It depends on what kind of flavor you like. So it's really good to be able to offer that. But that's not the only you know, reason why people choose non-alcoholic health reasons, maybe, you know, been out on a little bit of a bender 
And you just like, look, I just can't do alcohol one more day, but your friends want to go out. So you got go out with them and you have one of those. Um, or what we're seeing, most of our non-alcoholic beers will sell under this premise. When a guy's at a bar and uh, he's had two or three beers and he's going to drive home. He has his car out. He wants to drive home, but he doesn't want another beer. Um, but he doesn't want to leave the conversation either. So, you know, he, he, I mean, him and his buddies, I mean, they're solving the cosmos. They've tackled world peace. They've tackled cancer. They've tackled politics. They've tackled it all. They've fixed every problem in the world. They're almost finished, you know, with cosmos. And you can't leave that conversation now. Mm-hmm. And there's no way you can solve that conversation on the, on the sidewalk. You got to do it on the bar stool. And so what do you do? You can't do it with an empty glass. So you go and get non-alcoholic beer and it's kind of round out your night. So that's a very common way that, that people choose these options as well. So it's a very personalized um, set of reasons. And, you know, I don't have to know all the reasons. I'm just glad that we have, we can offer something that's common to the beer world that does suit their needs. Well, and, and you know, I, I think too, it's, it's great to see it. One, they also are kind of at an advantage over a lot of other places because they don't, they can ship, you know, they can do, do things a little different that others can't. Uh, but I will say this and tell me what your thoughts are. Cause I've had a lot of non-alcoholic uh, beverages. If at first you're expecting the exact same thing, even though they taste a lot better, that's not always the case, but as you get a little more into them, then you, you, you appreciate the, the flavors that, that are there. But if you're expecting it, I feel like right off the bat, you might be a little disappointed that it's not, you know, an apples to apples, comparison maybe apples to oranges yeah i mean the probably most popular beers we're selling right now is topping goliath ipas you can't come in and expect non-alcoholic beer to taste just as good as that topping goliath beer it's just not going to be quite the same um but will there be enough flavors uh, that are common that's well balanced uh, that's brewed correctly um yes you can expect that um so i guess if you're comparing the non-alcoholic varieties to the to top two beers on the market they may not uh, compare favorably. Um, however, when you compare them to where non-alcoholic beers were even five years ago, it's a vastly different game. Well, and, and like you said a little bit earlier, you know, there's sours, there's lagers, there's pilsners, there's a breakfast stout, there's an oatmeal stout, there are variations of IPAs, which I mean, like you said, years ago, you had Bud Zero or whatever, and it was not great. Now you actually have a variety of flavors, which that goes back to the brewers to be able to pull those off and do it well too. Yeah, they're stepping up to the challenge. They see that as something that's traditionally been seen as impossible. And they like, no, we can do this. And it's really kind of cool that they've given attention to that. Yeah, they're doing it with gluten-free beers. They're doing kombuchas. Um, there's a lot of different things that brewers can do in the brew house other than make a traditional alcoholic beer. So it's kind of fun to see what they come up with. Well, and it's always fun to see, uh, see you, Kevin, and to have a good chat. And I appreciate it as always. I enjoyed it as well, Jonathan. I'm happy to do it anytime. Remember to check out Hops and Spirits on social media at Hop Spirits, all one word, on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and Twitter. You can also find Hops and Spirits on YouTube and at hopspirits.com. Joining us here on the Bar Conversations is CJ Kane, guitar, and a little bit of the vocals, as all the members of the band do for the Wooks. CJ, welcome in. Hey, how's it going? It's good, good. Now, you know, we're, we're bar conversations, so, you know, before I, we, we hit the record button, I said, grab yourself a drink. Did you get anything good? Um, well, right now, uh, I mean, if you can find anything, it's good as far as <laughs> bourbon goes. <laughs> um, I, I kind of, uh, that's a sensitive uh, topic for me, but, uh, yeah, I got some Buffalo Trace. My wife usually keeps it, Lisa couple bottles uh we're not collectors we kind of have a hard time just letting it uh, sit in the closet but hey nothing uh, wrong with that That, that's the best way you open it and enjoy it the uh the whole run and the whole collecting of bourbon has caused me to branch out as a human being so uh, that's the silver lining (laughs) is for not being able to to find uh your favorites these days i can understand that i'm one that likes to kind of try different things i got some have, have you had uh, Castle and Keys uh, Restoration Rye yet? Um, I, I may have like tried a little bit at a like a function of some sort, but I haven't like had a, the full experience. I don't think. No, I know, I'm I'm hoping to get out there at some point because I, I hear it's beautiful. But I, I enjoy 
getting to, to try a few things when I can because I'm I'm, I'm kind of like you. I'm, I don't want to chase the bottles. I want to open them, enjoy them with friends, and, and like you said, just enjoy them. It's it's a lot more fun yeah. to enjoy them. <laughs> I mean, I've I've started. Uh, you know, uh, I used to like really not like uh, gin, like gin and tonics, things like that. Mm-hmm. But my brother-in-law has this uh, cocktail company called Jack Rudy. It's like tonic. Uh, they make all kinds of mixers, but the bread and butter is the like handcrafted tonic. And I finally realized it wasn't the gin I didn't like. It was like the <laughs> mediocre tonic. And once I tried theirs, uh, so I've like gotten into gin and tonics. I've, I've tried some scotch and just tried to branch out because up all through college i mean i almost drank bourbon exclusively and uh my dad was like man it ain't the greatest drink to sit by the pool at the summertime but no <laughs> uh <laughs> with all the you know uh collecting and it being so scarce i've just kind of gotten a little disenchanted with it and just tried some new cocktails and new things and uh we got a great some great bars here in lexington uh to to choose from and get a good cocktail so there's a lot more out there but bourbon's still my uh kind of go-to i have to admit hey there's nothing wrong i I remember like because i've lived now in lexington oh man it's like six seven years when i first got here man buffalo trace took up like four shelves, you know, like a big, now, now you're just hoping, you, you know, someone goes, Hey, I got some in for, you know, two days. Yeah. And, like and Elmer, T, <laughs> Elmer T was my favorite thing. You know, my dad knew some of his family and you could get it for $27 and I never thought twice about it. And, you know, show it, it just was kind of, that's what we always had around. And then next thing you know, it's like gone. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dad and I tracked down like I think we had fourteen bottles that we ran around town buying in some craze, and we were like, we're gonna save these. And they made it from like I think uh, like two months. You know, every time somebody <laughs> came over, it was like let's get one out. You know, and so uh, he's still trying to collect, but I gave up on it. I just get whatever I can find and and go with it i was gonna say there's there's plenty of good ones i'm I'm doing this podcast i've found that i'm like you if you do gin and some of the other ones great in a cocktail they're they're pretty flavorful and you get a whole lot more variety than um than what you might expect and uh yeah yeah and uh you know uh having the cocktail thing in the family it's like it it's like oh i'll try that you know Mm -hmm. at at whatever you know holiday or whatever next thing you know it's like i'm 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 cultured now I don't just drink bourbon <laughs> see what happens when you guys go on tour you come back a totally different person. absolutely <laughs> touring is good for uh food learning about different food and and drinks and uh, uh, music's music's good for you especially traveling <laughs> traveling in general is good for you Yes, it is, and 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 you know we're t- here, here to talk. You guys have a new album coming out. Got a lot of cool things coming up here this year. So for those that may not know about the the, the books, how would you guys or how would you describe your style, the music style? Because um, I've heard a few different ways from you know when you're reading up about it. But how would you guys describe it? Um, for me, I would describe it like, I mean, all of us are deeply rooted in bluegrass music. Uh, traditional bluegrass, uh, particularly like that seventy. For for me, it's like we're all we all are influenced by like the old school bluegrass, but particularly like the music that was going on around here in the seventies, bluegrass wise, like uh, J D. Crow uh, in the New South was based out of Kentucky. Um, and kind of had Tony Rice, Ricky Skaggs, all these guys. Uh, Sam Bush lived in the Kentucky area during that time. That whole generation is like really uh, the kind of the backbone for most of all of our uh, musical like aspirations, really. 
And then from there, from that like bluegrass base, we all kind of have some different influences outside of that. Uh, I'm really influenced by the band and Southern Rock, uh, Allman Brothers, Skinner, uh, singer-songwriters, John Prine, Guy Clark. Um, you know, a banjo player, know, like he's been to a lot of fish shows and uh, <laughs> Jerry Garcia knows a lot about that style of music and uh you know we all kind of bring all those things together and they're all sort of related enough you know that it that it works um you know mixing the the jamming kind of with the songwriting is kind of the easiest way to describe the band our band well, uh, and 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 how did you guys come up with with the name because I, I feel like that just seems interesting to me well, there's not really a great answer because I guarantee you if you ask anyone who's ever played in this band, you'd get like either a bunch of stammering around or uh, just kind of a shot in the dark answer. So what we've, <laughs> what we've, I'll let you in on this. I won't do it to you because you're a cool guy. I but, <laughs> but lately we've, we've just kind of like, just randomly like when people ask us it's like oh well uh harry's uncle was an extra on the empire strikes back so <laughs> that's where we got the name and then we were in like dc and this cat was like uh so the wooks that's interesting is that like a family name and, and like without skipping a beat somebody in the band was like yeah that was cj's uh great grandmother's name uh last name but she pronounced it wook but we changed it a little bit. so, And it's been a, like, a lot more fun that way because the truth of the matter is the fans usually have some kind of Star Wars idea, some kind of uh, like, a, a, um, like a Sasquatch interpretation, and then there's like the, the hippie interpretation, you know, like the West, uh, you know, Colorado hippie music fan. And honestly, like, you don't really want to take it away from anybody, whatever it is that it means to them. And honestly, like, it's kind of, at this point, it is all of those things, you know. I did have a friend say, though, this was like Wook philosophy. He was like, without Chewbacca, there could be no Wooks, because all of the other connotations, like, come about because of that. And I was like, that's... That's pretty heavy, man. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I mean, it, it, it's open to interpretation. It's it, it's whatever it means to to whomever, and and I kind of like that because sometimes you, you really it, it, something sticks, and you don't really know how it came to be, and you know. It, yeah, I mean, we all honestly uh, from the get go, like I think it all meant something different uh, to each one of us, and it still does to whoever's a part of the band and uh so it's a it's kind of a difficult question to answer <laughs> so it's a little more fun to actually have some fun with it then <laughs> it, i mean you can't take your one of my favorite things about the name is like uh no one ever really asks me twice what band i'm in you know they usually mm -hmm. remember it and it has this broad thing like people like it or hate it and love it because they hate it whatever they come up with it's there's so many different angles that people come up with i'm like yeah man like that's great like it's like a song you know you don't whatever interpretation you get from a song that means something to you like that is what it is you know you're not wrong you know i one time messaged a songwriter uh i was like I thought I just knew what this song was about, and I loved this the tune. I quickly realized I, I was like <laughs> not even close. You know, it was it was funny, but I realized then it's like it's best just to let people, you know, do their thing. Yeah, let it, let it have its own 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 you know life own own mystique to it. Now, you know, you guys have been been going at this for a little while, but what got you into into music and, and being, you know, playing guitar and things like that? 
Well, my mom was like really into like ZZ Top and Stevie Ray Vaughan and that whole thing, and uh, really a little more rock and roll and blues. And and Dad, um, you know, is kind of he got into bluegrass through the like Grateful Dead and Jerry Garcia, and then got into like Keith Whitley, J.D. Crow, and that whole scene. So, I, like, they're not professional musicians, but, like, they've been going to shows and, like, um, they've had a lot of taste, but, uh, yeah. And so I was around, like, some cool stuff growing up, and then eventually, I forget, you know, I was probably 12 or 13, man. I just got into, like, Stevie Ray Vaughan big time. And got an electric guitar, and kind of I got alright at it but I kind of hit this place where I, I sort of plateaued and, and and sat it down for like a year or so and then dad took me to a bluegrass festival and, and uh, I bought like a Tony Rice record and once I heard Tony it like totally like fired me back up about wanting to play guitar and inevitably like you get so um, entranced and like moved by somebody's music that you want to like a lot of times not necessarily be like them but like you're like i want to connect with people that way Mm -hmm. and uh like sometimes i'm like you know i don't know whether to like you know hug my heroes or kick their ass because this like job is not easy yeah (laughs) and they they kind of got me into this but uh it's it's interesting how uh, musicians can have that effect, really. I was, I was going to say you've kind of touched on it a little bit, but you know, with you know, who, whether it was your parents or, or you know, some of the 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 influences that kind of you know made the band. I mean, are are those most of the people that influenced you growing up in, in terms of your your love of music? Well, I mean, the list of influences I have now, like. I mean, was there any there, hip-hop in there or anything? Yeah, like that? <laughs> I mean, I was getting ready to say, I haven't always, like, I've had times, you know, where I'm listening to, like, in high school, where I listened to, like, what was cool. Um, and then, like, like, I was telling my sister about Nas and how he's, like, quite possibly the greatest rapper of all time. And she's uh, in her early 20s, and she was like, what are you talking about, you know? Um <laughs> No Realizing that hip hop <laughs> that I liked is now like vintage, you know. Uh, yeah, we're old school hip hop fans. I mean, everybody knows about like all the kids know about Tupac, but there's so many things like there's this guy that played football at Henry Clay that told me about this group, uh, Do or Die. It was like uh, the group that like Twista like launched out of, you know. And I mean, I had that phase, and I. And sometimes I put that stuff on, and it's really cool because, uh, well, just the other day I put on a Destiny's Child song in the in the van on tour, and I was like, listen to this bass, like, because so much of music that's popularized now is like not a band in the studio, but these guys were like killing it, you know, mm. and it's kind of funny, like, you you can kind of write some things off sometimes, and or just kind of forget about it, but like. There's kind of something to be learned from every style of music. If it's good, it's good, you know. And, and, and that, that's absolutely true. I mean, I think about like Dr. Dre bringing in like full fledged band, like you know, orchestra type things. I mean, know, what to... about Outcast? I mean, that's some of the most musical. Like those guys can play, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, the the bands that they put behind them are incredible. Now, now you guys do have a new album coming out in February, Flying High. Uh, you, you guys just kind of released that out along with the, the, the debut single. What what, what what are you excited about, and what, what are folks going to be excited about on, on this new album? Um, are you going to have any Destiny kinda, Child influences on there? <laughs> no, I did try to write like a, a tune that had kind of a Jerry like Fish uh, vibe, because that's kind of... Fish is kind of new to me. I'm kind of like late to the table there. When when I first started hearing about Fish, I got it like through a 
a bad lens because kids were, would hear that I played bluegrass and be immediately be like, hey man, do you like fish? And then I'd listen to fish and I'd try to be listened to it like it's a bluegrass band, like it's being presented to me by, you know, people that I knew. And I'm like, what are they talking about? You know, but they did that Baker's Dozen deal and I listened to it like while driving on tour and it was broadcasted over Sirius uh, XM and that like really kind of got me hooked. Uh, I'm not like, I don't know all the songs and all the ins and outs, but like I have this like respect for it that I probably didn't really understand it at, in high school and college. It, that being said, the tune still kind of sounds like the, an Almond Brothers rip-off a little bit or Southern Rock thing, but uh, there is some new like influences, at least for my writing. Um, but it still kind of like goes with what the Wooks has always kind of been about, which is like just just writing good songs and, and things that people can connect to. Um, like Flying High, like those are real people in that song and uh, some of my dad's good friends and like some of the coolest people I've ever known like and I think it's cool to like put them in in that their story you know because um, you know then it kind of can live forever somewhere you know on a hard drive somewhere that's kind of cool well, and, I, I was... uh, you know, all say, the all the guys are writing on the uh, Harry and George both wrote uh, some killer tunes on it, and and uh, just writing songs is kind of the a cornerstone of of what we're trying to do. Well, it, it seemed too like you wanted with this album, you guys kind of took a different approach. Like you wanted a little more, um, I guess maybe raw live feel feel to it. What what kind of drew you to that type of sound on, on this album? Because well, I've got to listen well, to it. And it and it sounds really good, and it, but you can kind of tell, I feel like that difference of probably what you're going to hear on it is what you're going to hear when, when you guys hit, hit the stage. I mean, from my perspective, A, I'm like a little bit farther down the road in my career where I was, you know, a little, like early on when you cut a record, you, you're like so self-conscious and you like want to fix everything, you know, like you take a solo you're like, I can do better than that. And you go back in there and you take a few more passes, like they, it's called overdubbing, you know. And there's nothing wrong with that. Hell, I mean, I bet you there's a lot of overdubs on some, you know, really great records from, you know, back when we were all, everyone was cutting on tape. And there's like a time and place for that, but I've never really, this record has like so many more solos on, for me, that are just exactly how they happen in the moment without like maybe pasting two different ones together, things like that. That was just kind of a product. Some of that is the fact that I'm like, okay, like I'm not as in my head in the studio as I was when I was younger. And then also we don't have like a click track that we're like playing along to, um, you know, the guy that engineered is this cat named Jake Stargell, and he's like, he's a young, he's like one of the best guitar players probably to ever live in bluegrass. He's young, he's a little bit younger than me, I'm 36. But he's he's just kind of like really got this gift for recording, and that's why he's really pursued more than his live performing uh, lately. And he really just kind of knows how to allow us to play that way. You know, we take three or four passes of a song, and then uh, it's all like live with no click track. And then, man, sometimes there's like maybe the first half of one take and the second half, but it's all live in that context. It's not like playing it. You go in there overdubbing this thing until you get it perfect. Um, and that's kind of like, from what I understand, how like Bela did like the Drive album and Tony Rice did a lot of the Bluegrass album band and you know just our favorite records they might be spliced up the takes a little bit but a lot of times everything isn't like perfect perfect 
so it's like why why not try to do it that way if that's those are the records that make you want to play music maybe i'm not saying that we accomplished getting it to sound that good but like that was our goal you know that was the the inspiration for the style of recording well, like, like i said i getting to listen to to do it a little bit you can you can tell i don't know there's just something about it i mean because it's i don't know something raw authentic to it and that that's kind of cool to hear and how, do, how does that differ differ from the first two is that just because you know the first two you're a little well, younger there's, some, there's some of that in the first two records uh but really what it is is like we most of the time we've recorded like it's kind of the arrangement it isn't really set in stone yet. Like we get there and, and like our first album, Allison Brown produced it from, uh, I mean, she's like a super famous producer and banjo player. Um, so we had these tunes, we knew the chords, we knew the words, but we sat down with her and then worked them over with this arrangement, right? That you ain't ever played it like that before and then you go in there and cut it so obviously you're not going to like really nail everything so you might have fixed some stuff because it's a brand new thing with this album like we produced it so what we did was we went to a cabin on Norris not Norris Lake uh, Cherokee Lake in Tennessee and worked on the tunes for like a week and we never have done that before so when we got to the studio, it wasn't. We were able to play a little more live because we we weren't overhauling a lot of stuff. There is one song on there, uh, I think "Black and White," and we had no arrangement for that one, and we kind of just played it off of the top, like just started playing and kind of see what happens, kind of thing. And I, I was kind of proud of that too because that would have freaked me out, like. 10 years ago like um, but it was kind of nice we were producing ourselves. we were recording with our friend at the computer in his like house it's kind of like a college house in Nashville uh, might be like a dirty sock on the floor and you know <laughs> uh, shitty beer in the fridge and you know there's such low stress in that environment but he's also getting this like good tone it's, just because we're not in like a fancy studio, we, it sounded good and felt good. So um, it was kind of a different experience for all the from all those factors, really. I was gonna say, it sounds like it, it was it was a, a fun experience too, and and something that 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 shows through on, on the record. You, you talked a little bit about writing. You know, you pulled from you know flying high, talking about some some people that you know people know in, in your past and, and so forth or are friends of, of the family what's it like coming up with stuff like that and pulling from experiences or just even coming up with some fun ideas to base a song off of yeah um you know i, th I feel like they're on the record there's like every kind of song like uh, george has this song that he wrote it sounds like it was written by like somebody who's like 80 years old you know it's like um i don't know how he, it's like he had a time machine or something and then harry's got one that's kind of like a, a little while it's kind of like a bunch of childhood growing up imagery that's killer and then i've got uh, other sides of sort of an abstract kind of tune and so they're they're all kind of different but like the real life stories are easy like i mean if you if you like care about something enough to write about it then the story is already really there you just got to kind of figure out how to get it in time and all that like i knew i wanted to write a song with jim bob and and pam pam bob actually she goes by it uh she says that she took both of his names but uh and, and chubb and rose like i just those are cool people so i was like let's i want to have them in a song one day so like you know it's it's really cool to kind of get to see their reaction to it but the real eye-opening thing for me like tyler childers is a big influence of mine and i would have never really had the bravery to write about like somebody just 
specifically known by me without really having heard his songs because I would have thought at an early age, like, oh, you might not understand that because you don't know Pam and, and mm-hmm. Jim Bob. Or, you know, whoever it's inspired by. But Tyler, like, had tunes where he would, like, you know, his his best bud, about his best buddy's, like, grandma, you know. And he would even say his best buddy's name in the song, Cody. You know, and I, I would have been like, yeah, nobody's going to get that. Everybody's going to say, who the hell is Cody? But, like, you go to Red Rocks and you see all those thousands of people, you know, singing that that song. And it's not really been on a record either. Like, people have learned that song, uh, Virgie, on their own accord. So it's like, man, like, you can write about your people, you know. It's relatable. It's it's really, like, I mean, he has a lot of genius things going on, but that's something that, like, uh, I really was, like, knocked down by. I was like, man, everybody, there's this sports show I listen to all the time, like, Kentucky Sports uh, Show, and, like, this guy talks about on there, like, that everybody's interesting. Like, there's something about everyone that's interesting. You just got to, like, figure it out, what it mm-hmm. is. Because they might not tell you, they might think what's interesting about themselves. It's like, now that ain't it. Like, and if you talk to them long enough, you can figure out. And that's true. Like, there's almost, there's a song in anybody you meet, really. Oh, but I, I hate to tell everybody that because then nobody will like, want to <laughs> talk to me anymore. <laughs> they might might be worried you're going to write write something about them, but... Yeah, you know, hey, it's it's all good stuff. It's it's nice things, and yeah. and it's fun to share those and and have those. You know, now someone maybe fifty years from now is going to know the story of of Jim Bob and and Pam Bob, and it, it's 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 so cool to see that. And you know, you guys have, have been doing this for for a while now. I mean, I started back not super super long, but twenty fourteen. It, it, it's it's how how's that journey been for y'all? I mean, uh. Yeah, it's like, it seems like not that long ago, but, I mean, for me, I started playing on the road, I guess, like, 2006, 2007, probably. Um, It's kind of a blur, you know? Um, Being a musician for a living, sorry, my dog is like, really excited about something (laughs) it's (laughs) a-okay but uh it has i mean any job has ups and downs but like being a musician is tough sometimes i mean you're sometimes you're really working hard to get just to the place where you gotta work you know what i mean like um i think there's like that term you hear people talk about like you know getting a real job versus being a musician. It's like, man, I, I don't know anybody with a real job that could cut it, like, you know, get in a van, van and ride, like, nine hours, you know, and, and and play, you know, set your stuff up, play a couple hours, you know, and then do that over and over again for, like, two weeks straight. Um and then, oh, also, sometimes you're not going to be certain what you're going to make. Like, mm-hmm. it'll be what it will be at the door, you know. It's like, who's signing up for that? You know. Uh, so, yeah, it's tough. And the pandemic's been tough, obviously. Um, but the coolest thing, like, you, I find that you either have a tough day or an awesome day. It's never, like, you never play a show and you're like, that was all right. You know, it was either a tough day or it was a great day. And there's not much in between. And it's cool, like, the coolest feeling, like I mentioned Tyler, like, I can remember vividly, like, I played a duo show with him the first time that I heard people sing along to somebody's song that, like, I knew, you know, it wasn't somebody famous yet. Mm -hmm. And I was like, whoa they know the words to this. And that was like the coolest feeling in the world. And it was probably like three or four months after that, that I experienced that in my own show with the Wooks. And like, 
that's the coolest feeling in the world. Like somebody, you write this song that you're like, I wonder if anybody's gonna give a damn about. And then you you hear them like sing it back to you, like they took the time to like listen to it that many times. That that's like the the it's the best. I mean, you know, better than any GI Joe at Christmas that you ever <laughs> wanted. You know. See, I, I will never get to experience that. I cannot carry a tune, but I can drink and have good conversations. Yeah, but so you, what... <laughs> you might be able to write a song, though. Just because you can't sing doesn't mean you can't write a song. There, there might be hope for me still. <laughs> now, 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 you talk about you know being you know on, on stage and stuff like that. You guys are obviously going on tour for the new album. What can folks expect uh, to, to see uh, when, when you guys are able to, to get out there again? Um. We like to play, you know, the lyrics are focused, but like in the live show, we really like to stretch stuff out and, uh, you know, play, you know, the extended solos from time to time and just off the cuff is, is, uh, I feel like we're most comfortable not really knowing what is going to happen. And that's when I'm most comfortable anyway. Um... Like when I had to like kick a song off the same way to like every time, that's the most terrifying <laughs> part of playing for me. It's like, am I gonna remember? Uh, but that's just kind of the style of our live shows. There's a lot of jamming, improvisational stuff. But like I said again, within this context of like the lyrics and the songwriting being kind of uh, a focus. And, and then, you know, when, when I was getting ready to, d to do the interview, I threw up a, a thing that I was going to talk to y'all, and, and someone wanted to know what's maybe the favorite place you've gotten to play or at least gotten to go and, and just kind of enjoy with, with being on, on tour and, and so forth. Um, for one, I got, personally, and I can't, like, answer this for everybody, but most of my favorites are probably going to be some of their favorites too, but uh, we did a tour with the String Dusters, um, which is a hugely influential band in my bluegrass like upbringing. They were uh, still good friends of mine and very like, you know, sometimes like the music business, like people, it's not that they're unfriendly, but like when you're new and you're young, you feel like, you know, the door is kind of closed to you. And, that, and they were up and coming and like, the door was always open and uh so to get to go on the t tour with them after them kind of being a influence of like hey i want to be like those dudes and be a musician you know that was pretty cool we played some good venues but it was more so about like cool to be on the on the road with them uh you know like uh one of my favorite spots i ever played was this place john t floors in hello taste texas we opened for tyler it was the craziest thing like you know probably three four thousand people uh that was a lot for me at the time and still it really is for a bluegrass band you know mm -hmm. but the weirdest thing was we walked out i walked out like to go to the merch table you know like in bluegrass you get done with your show and you you go out there to the table and, and you work. say hello, <laughs> yeah. you know? It seems ridiculous to, like, I don't know, probably like a hip-hop artist or something, but that's just what you do, and it's it's cool. Like, I kind of like knowing the people that are coming to the shows. And I walk out there, and I'm like, I immediately go back into the green room. I'm like, dude, somebody's got to go out there with me. I can't tell which way is which and it was just overwhelming like people slapping you on the back and just like wading through this crowd is and texas is like intense man people love music there <laughs> and it, like as we were walking to the to the record table it was like you could people were cheering like a sports thing like a sports <laughs> situation as we moved through the crowd and that seems like goofy but like you know for me, bluegrass bands growing up, like it's my favorite. It's like my favorite form of music, but it's 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 not always like that, you know. Mm -hmm. And to see 
people cheering and getting riled up about that style of music. And, and I, I don't know if you're familiar with Billy Strings, but he's really showing like what fans are capable. Like people can get in that state over bluegrass music. It's just, you know, I think when I was younger, you go to bluegrass festivals, like everybody's sitting in a lawn chair, you know. Mm-hmm. You got some people that might clap every once in a while. You got some people that dance, but it's not like, you know, this way way, but it can be. And, and bands like Leftover Salmon kind of showed that earlier on too. It's not just Billy and String Dusters and those guys, but um, it was cool. Like the Hello Taste gig is like where like Willie Nelson like lived in that green room, and Robert Earl Keane like cut his famous live album. So it just had all kinds of cool factor going on simultaneously, and we're there with our friends. And um, Rocky Grass is a big one for me. I don't know if you've ever heard of that festival. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the festival I kind of grew up going to that was like my you know I never had a nice coffee till I went to Rocky Grass or a <laughs> steamed dumpling you know uh, I mean that was probably the first time I went like west of the Mississippi was to go to Rocky Grass so and I met so many people there from all over the world that just like I was talking about the culture thing like I mean, I, I met a group of people from San Francisco that I would then go visit at like 16, 17 years old and like, you know, in my, I was like, there's more ways than one to cook a frog leg. I learned that <laughs> in San Francisco. I, I love it. Well, it, it, it's memories. It's making memories, making stuff that, that will stick with you you forever. And, and those are so cool to see kind of the moments that, that come about from that. Um, you know, here in Lexington, you guys do a, do a show pretty much every Halloween, uh, Wookaween. What, what's it like putting that on and having some fun with friends? Well, my favorite thing about that show is like the name has now settled into this thing that really works. But when somebody first presented it, I was like, that sounds weird. <laughs> so I'm just happy that it's like, now it just it's, rolls it's off. It's worked. The yeah, yeah, it, it works. <laughs> at first I was like, see, it was like a good example. It's like you're not always right, you know. At first, I was like, "We can do better," you know. I don't know about that name, but it, it's a. Uh, I thought about that. Like I saw that, someone else brought that up, and I was like, "We have done that pretty much almost every year," uh, and it really just started out of nowhere. You know, I think the first one had us in Town Mountain and. Uh, my former band that I was in, Newtown, that's fronted by a great uh, Kentucky musician by the name of Katie Penn. She plays with a, a group. I played with Katie for like 10 years before the looks. And she's in a group called Grasstown now. Um, and, you know, Wicca Wayne's fun. I mean, because obviously you dress up, you know. And it's kind of fun to go out there, like, on stage like dress as someone else it's like the one day out of the year you get to do that in fact like this year we kind of dressed as the opening band uh, which was laid back country picker i don't know if you've checked him out but did, did you did you have the facial hair well what we did was we didn't like look just like him technically we dress as though we were a part of we were trying to the the bit was we were trying to get laid back to hire us as his bluegrass <laughs> band and we were the mississippi river rats nice. was the name of the band the wooks broke down couldn't make it and we were the we were the river rats and uh, we were there to audition for laid back who opened for us and uh you know every year it, it's like it's like everybody's scrambling. Not every year we're like, let's get the costume together in like July, <laughs> and inevitably it's like two days before it, and we're still like freaking out. You know, we have, you know, everybody's missing something. You know, and uh, that's my goal is eventually have the Halloween costume like before the week of the show. You, you might need to start now. Just start I know. planning it. I know. <laughs> now, all year. It's ridiculous. Like, 
It's like I'm more likely to do my taxes early than <laughs> to get that costume together. It, it happens, and uh, you, you know when when you think back on all this, did you ever expect you to be playing music for for a living and being able to go on tour and meet people and just have this you know cool experience? Dude, I just wanted. I didn't even know like the coolest thing for me is like. I'm like friends with my guitar teacher now, and we've written songs to get like we wrote a song for the new record. Um, uh, Butler Hayes was co-written with. I wrote that with a childhood guitar teacher of mine, who's like now my friend. You know, when I was a kid, I was just like I just wanted Eric to like not hate me. <laughs> you know, I'd go in the store and like play every guitar in the store and buy like a guitar pick and walk out. You know. Um, there's another co-write on the album, uh, Mudfish Mama, that I wrote with this guy, Ray Smith, who, that, uh, his group of musicians, like, I'm, like, obsessed with the band and Levon Helm and the whole nine yards. I've read the book, and that whole start, that really started uh, from, you know, obviously I didn't get to see that, the band. I'm not mm-hmm. old enough. But I saw at the Dame, the original Dame, I saw the last waltz like recreation that Ray put together with a guy named JT Cure that plays with Chris Stapleton, who produced our uh, Glory Bound record, mm-hmm. um, and then Jesse Wells, who was our original fiddle player, who plays with Tyler Childers now. Uh, guy named Tim Welsh. Basically, they put a group of musicians together and reenacted the last waltz, and I saw that, but like college age, you know. And I go home and I listen to the band like obsessively for like the next, you know, five years. So like I didn't know Ray, but eventually I kind of got good enough at the guitar where he was like, let's play a duo show or something at the Mexican restaurant or whatever. And next thing you know, we like write a song and like now it's going to be on a record. And I look back and I'm like, man, I'm just like, I never I didn't know I was even going to be friends with these people, let alone like being a band or work with them. Um, you know, it's it's uh, that's cool to me. You know, I didn't get to like hang out with like Prine or Guy Clark, but I mean, I've got to to like be around some pretty pretty cool guys like in my local scene. You know. Um, like, there's this guy from Lexington that I tell people all the time, I show people his Instagram stuff that I grew up around that's played with uh, us, like, filled in with us and stuff. His name's Brandon Bowles, and he plays, his main instrument's probably electric guitar, but he plays banjo, too, and bass, everything. But he's just, like, good at every, like, style of guitar. Like, re- he's reggae, country, uh, he play some bluegrass guitar and uh, the Jerry Garcia thing and the Southern rock thing. Never seen anything like it, you know, and he might not be touring, but that's because, you know, he took a different path and Mm -hmm. has a job and family and just, but he could, you know, he's, and, and it's, uh, you know, just, you know, being around people like that in your local scene is just as cool as anything, really. Well, absolutely. Getting to just play with any, any anyone that, that, that has a love of, of this type, any music is, to me, would be, be fun. It's just, you know, just something that, you know, you, you can't really put a price on or, or anything like that. And, and before we kind of get to my last question, I know you, you all are ambassador for, uh, uh, is it Canned Aid? Is that C- how you say Canned it? Canned Aid, yeah. Why is that something that that's important to to y'all and something that that you guys do? Well, um, the coolest thing. So what the the candidate has a lot of things going on. Like they have some disaster relief kind of deals that they do. But what we do with them is is called the Tunes Ambassadors, and like basically they go out and purchase a bunch of instruments uh, tailored to like the needs of the the school that we're going to go to and donate the instruments and basically we go in and do like a performance 
answer questions, talk about bluegrass, talk about instruments in general and music. And the kids get access to like some quality instruments to learn on. A lot of times it's like, they use the term at risk. It's a lot of times kids that are not going to get access to a quality instrument more than likely Mm -hmm. uh, without uh, the help of Candade. And uh, man, it's pretty cool. Like I've done class, we've done donations in the middle of Eastern Kentucky and we've done them in Brooklyn. And it's like hilarious to like, be playing like this bluegrass instrumental in like Brooklyn and kids are like, I don't keep up with the dance moves, but there's always a new dance. You know, I don't know if you've mm-hmm. noticed that. It's like, and to see them jump up and it's like clinch mountain backset, but they're doing like whatever the move is of the week and like just getting down, you know? And, uh, that, that's, that's awesome. You know? And, uh, I, you know, we, my, a friend of ours uh, that was in a band, he's in a band called Songs from the Road Band now, uh, Charles Humphreys. That's who got me connected with Candade. But Candade kind of, everybody that works there is the coolest people in the world. And um, we kind of needed a charity to kind of focus our efforts towards because if you don't, like, as a band you get contacted like all the time like let's do this let's do that and like you can like kind of spread yourself thin and your charitable efforts kind of get diluted because you're not able to like focus so like having something that we are doing and focus on like charity wise is makes it easier and more effective for us I mean, not that we don't get involved in other stuff, but that's been kind of nice to have this thing that we're kind of attached to. Well, and then, then just to get to, to share your love of music and, and playing live instruments has it, got to be cool because that's not something that, unfortunately, nowadays, you know, it's not like music class is, is always a, an option sometimes. So Kid, Kids ask the best questions, too. Like, you know, my favorites are like, how do you all always get along, you know? It's like, you need to watch the Beatles documentary. <laughs> <laughs> we never fight. It's all rainbows. <laughs> Especially in a tour, in a small van. It's like, man. <laughs> uh, yeah. like, whoever gets to clean the van after the tour is over, that's who you need to talk to. <laughs> well, and, and as, as, uh, as we wrap, wrap up our, our, our conversation... You know, we, we talked about it. You got a new album coming out. You're going on tour. What What are you guys hoping for in, in 2022? Because, I mean, obviously you got a lot going on with the album and tour. I'm, I'm guessing you're hoping for a, a fun year and to be able to get out and see everyone. Yeah, I mean, first off, I, I'd hope for, like, a year that's, uh, you know, relatively smooth and safe for everyone. I mean, that's the, the bar is pretty low at this point as far as, like, I thought about it the other day. It's like, man, we've had really two years, and one of the years, like, really weird, and the second one's like, I mean, even last year was not normal, you know. Um, it, it would be nice to just, you know, be able to play, uh, but I, we're, I mean, you gotta, you gotta do it right and safely and all that, but, uh, hopefully we'll have a, a good smooth year, and, uh, just get in front of more people and and have uh, make more friends, you know, like um, and fans. Uh, we we have some of the best fans, uh, you know. I'm almost like friends with a good deal of them. That's uh, our our music scene in Kentucky is just with with Chris and Tyler and Sturgill and and these guys. Like it's really thriving, and the fans. It's like part of their it's like almost like the country version or uh, the you know folk version of the Grateful Dead like these people are making the the music a part of their lifestyle mm-hmm. you know getting in the van and going carpooling to shows um, and and just like trying to build on that 
and 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 you know, on more of a a national level is is going to be nice to get out and uh, just meet new people and, and spread the music around. Well, folks, uh, the, they've got a new album coming out in February. you got to check them out. And if, if you haven't yet, I highly recommend it. Spotify, Pandora, whatever it is, look them up. The Wooks, uh, they're, they're a lot of fun, a lot of great music. And uh, check them out on tour, too. CJ, this has been a blast, and we'll have to do it again. I, I appreciate it. Yeah, man, anytime. I, I really enjoyed it. And uh, if you snag any good bottles of bourbon, uh, let me know. And... Uh, I'll I'll send you some uh, some Jack Rudy cocktail mixers. Hey, we might just have to get together. We're in the same town. <laughs> yeah, we probably could have done this without all the technology, but this is kind of cool. It's like James Bond stuff so. <laughs> from undisclosed locations. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. I appreciate it, CJ. Take care, dude.